Catching you up on the latest stories that you should know heading into this Friday morning, April 14th. I'm Jake Reyes, and this is The Point from WUFT News. If you've played a sport before, you've probably had to practice for your next opponent at some point. Did you practice with another human or a robot? Depending on who, your brain acted differently in how it responded to the motion of the sport. New research out of the University of Florida claims our brains are more alert when facing robotic opponents. The research's main focus is on brain activity while people are moving, in contrast to previous research on brain activity while people are stationary. To do that, dozens of table tennis players' brains were analyzed as they faced different opponents. I spoke with University of Florida PhD in biomedical engineering student Amanda Studnicki about what she was able to discover in her research and how sports played into this. I started playing tennis when I was seven years old, super avid tennis player growing up, love sports, played in college for the University of Delaware, the Fighting Blue Hens. And I haven't played tennis as much when I got to grad school. I actually play a lot more pickleball, but have always loved racket sports. So tell me about your research and what you found. Sure. So I guess what motivated the study or or why I I moved to Florida to work with Dan is um, we were interested in looking at the brain activity of people moving in the real world, which up until now has been really difficult to do. Um, EEG especially uh, is very noisy um, when people move around. So the primary goal of the project was to see if we could push the boundary of how we can collect uh, mobile EEG data. We first tried tennis as a test bed, um, but it was a little bit too difficult in how much people were moving around. So we scaled it back to table tennis. So I guess we were, we were for this particular paper in, in eNeuro, we were looking at the parieto-occipital cortex, which is right in the back of your head, comprising your visual areas and what we call like the visual motor integration area, which takes like all of your different senses, your eyesight, vestibular and proprioception um, to create sort of this like motor plan. Um, But we're interested in looking at that brain area and what is the brain doing in table tennis, which is a very like dynamic sport. We are moving around and having to track this ball or this object in space and constantly update, you know, where am I in space and where is this ball coming to me in space? I know a lot of the media has kind of latched on to this like robot versus human comparison, but that was sort of like a secondary, that wasn't really the prime reason for this research, but the machine sort of gave us a nice control because it could put the ball in the same spot on on the table every time. And then we just wanted a very diverse, uh, lots of different types of trials that like represents table tennis. So that was sort of our, our first comparison because we knew that there would probably be differences in the visual cues and those mechanisms of playing with a human and a robot. And so we did find some differences. So that should set up some interesting future studies. You know, I know you mentioned that the differences between playing a robotic opponent and a human was kind of like a secondary factor of the research. But on that note, what were some of the differences that you were able to find between those two opponents? So all of the measures, we we did find a difference. So I guess one of them, we call them event-related spectral perturbations or Earth plots. Um, I don't know if you've looked at like the article or know what the plots look like, but we call it event-related desynchronization. 
which which is the change in I guess like how either how many neurons are firing or how in sync they are firing. And so desynchronization is typically when the neurons are a little like less organized um, and you're going out of this state of like cortical idling, which is sort of our resting state. So there's more evidence of desynchronization in the ball machine trials than the human trials. I guess another way to put it, like I know a lot of the different news stories have been have been saying the um, brain is working harder. That's that's a little bit a little bit misleading. Um, there was one story I think by Science that talked more about being like on high alert, which I think is a little bit more representative um, of what's sort of like going on. But in the ball machine trial, it's either this temporal or like how the person is expecting when the ball is coming that's putting them in this like very engaged state where they're really anticipating that like, yes, the ball's coming at this time, or they're really uh, engaged or alert during the ball machine rather than the human trials. Got it. And then another thing. So I know that in the article, there was this device that was like, like a backpack, I guess, strapped to humans. Can you tell us about that device actually, and like how it measured these things, how it works, things like that? Sure. Uh, so that, that's our, our mobile EEG setup, um, EEG electroencephalography. So all, so it, I guess in the picture, um, there's a black cap that's covering all the electrodes, but underneath that cap, there's 120 scalp EEG sensors and 120 noise sensors, which is our sort of like noise canceling approach to EEG. And then all the cables coming down, kind of like a ponytail coming out the back of their head are hooked up to amplifiers. They're recording all the data. And those amplifiers are sitting inside this backpack. And then in this particular picture, they also have a fanny pack that has a couple of the other like sensors and how we synchronize the data. It's sort of our approach to making EEG more mobile, which we did have to sort of prototype and, and create ourselves. Again, traditional approach to EEG, people are sitting stationary at a table. There's like very large amplifiers with lots of cables connected to it, um, which limits people's movement. Um, so this is sort of the step in the direction of trying to make it more mobile so people can move around. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It looks like something straight out of like science fiction. So it caught my eye when I saw the picture. That's pretty cool. And so how many trials did you have to run with this device to like really get an understanding of what you're researching? We had a total of 70 minutes of data. Um, 10 minutes of that was a standing baseline trial. Um, so with EEG data, you do need kind of a lot of data um, to process and, and sort of figure out what's going on. Half of those were with, with the machine and half were with the human. And we cut them up into lots of smaller trials just so it's not too monotonous or, or people aren't just playing for straight 60 minutes. All right. What could this mean for the future of, of sports? Are we being replaced by robots? <laughs> you know, just things like that. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> no, we're not being replaced by robots. Um, if anything, I think the data shows that your brain activity is different when you're playing a robot versus a human. So um, I don't think anything can replace that like human training because again like you're you're missing some of those visual cues and like the parietal occipital areas are, are different between these conditions so if you're going to be competing against a human 
Um, I think the best training is against a human, but that's not to say that machines are still useful. You know, you, you don't need to have a partner in order to play with them. There's going to need to be lots of future advancements until robots are beating people though in, in table tennis. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Is there any other thing that you'd like to add about your research that I didn't get to in a question that you just believe is vital for our audience to know about? Um, I would love if there was a little more emphasis on just the fact that like mobile EEG is a new field and recording the brain in the real world is new and it's important. If we only understand the brain and these sort of stationary paradigms where where people aren't moving and they're only looking at the screen, then we really only understand the brain in those conditions. So I think it is important to like continue this work and, and really trying to look at the brain activity while people are moving. So yes, I think that's that's important to highlight. That was University of Florida PhD in biomedical engineering student Amanda Stunicki about her research on brain activity in motion through sports. Now, let's catch you up on the latest stories from around the state. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy into law Thursday. NPR is reporting the law contains some exceptions, including to save the woman's life. Abortions for pregnancies involving rape or incest would be allowed until 15 weeks of pregnancy if a woman has documentation such as a restraining order or a police report. The six-week ban will take effect if the state's current 15-week ban is upheld in an ongoing legal challenge that is before the state Supreme Court. In other news, a federal judge's ruling to eliminate free coverage for many basic care services under the Affordable Care Act has health care providers nationwide concerned about its potential implications for patients. According to WLRN, in South Florida, Chief Executive Officer of Latinos Salud, Stephen Fallon, says he's worried that it could mean insurers may drop the HIV prevention drug known as PrEP, a pill taken daily to prevent infection. WLRN notes that South Florida has among the nation's highest rates of new HIV cases. And two bills that would allow a supermajority jury decision to suffice for state executions were passed by the Florida House Thursday. Florida Politics reports that SB 450, which previously passed the Senate, would allow 8 of 12 jurors to impose capital punishment, making Florida the fourth state to not require unanimity. HB 1297 would allow for execution of rapists of children under the age of 12 without jury unanimity. However, the bill still needs to be heard by the Senate. Both bills seek to change precedent that compels unanimous verdicts for executions. Subscribe to the Point Newsletter, which drops the latest stories into your inbox Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. Visit wuft.org to subscribe and view the most recent issues. I'm Jake Reyes, and you've been listening to The Point from WUFT News out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Friday.